The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. I want to share with you this morning a little bit of what goes into preparing a sermon, especially on a parable like this in our gospel lesson. And if you'd indulge me and you'd like to follow along, grab the Bible from your pew in front of you. Turn to Luke chapter 15 on page 874. You don't have to do this. I'm not twisting your arm here. But if you'd like to follow along, page 874, you find the context for our parable today. The context is important. It's possible to pluck the sayings of Jesus out of context, and if you do that, just like with anyone's words, you can really get Jesus to say just about anything you want. So when a pastor is preparing a sermon, it's important that he know the context. Why did Jesus tell this parable? What else was going on when he told it? Page 874, Luke chapter 15, sets the scene. Jesus is engaged in a battle with the Pharisees who are always in the business of ridiculing him. They make a joke of him. That's what the word ridicule means. They laugh at him. The things that he says sound ridiculous. They start by ridiculing the fact that he eats with sinners and tax collectors. Those aren't the religious sort of folks that you should be spending your time with. They're unclean. They're dirty. If you knew what those people were like, you wouldn't sit down to eat with them. That's what the Pharisees said about Jesus. They ridiculed him. And so Jesus taught them about how he had come to save the sinners. He told them the story of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son who comes back after he'd taken his father's inheritance and squandered it in reckless living and who was welcomed back by his father. My son who was dead is alive. Jesus shows them that it is sinners who need a savior. And so, dear Pharisees, if you're not sinners, then you have no need of a God you can find your own way. 
and that will not end well. They ridiculed the teaching of Jesus about sin and righteousness and about money. Jesus talks about money an awful lot in the Gospels. He talks about it as if it is expendable, as if you can just throw it away, as if you can just use it for generosity and kindness and charity and nothing wrong will happen. Everything will go well for you. The Pharisees ridiculed Jesus. That happens at the beginning of Luke chapter 16. Jesus tells a parable about kind of being wasteful with money, treating it as if it's unrighteous mammon, something that's useful for some things in this life, but you will not get to take it with you. And so they ridiculed him, the Pharisees did, because they were lovers of money. Lovers of money. He says to them, you want to be exalted in the eyes of men. You think that if people see your riches, they will think that you are great, but God sees your hearts. So put on as much of a show as you want, but don't forget that God sees beneath the surface. The things that are exalted by men, Jesus says, the things that are exalted by men are an abomination in God's eyes. What does the world love? Whatever the world loves above all else, to the degree that the world loves it, it's an abomination in God's eyes. Spending your life accumulating treasures on earth, what a waste of a life. The Pharisees ridiculed Jesus. They made fun of him. They mocked him. And they laughed at him. Which gets us close to the context for our parable today. But already, at the end of Luke chapter 16, right before our parable, in verse 18, top of page 876, there's this really perplexing little verse. Jesus is talking about money, and then out of the blue, he says, Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. I'll be honest, in the margin of my Bible, the Bible that I used to study, I wrote the words, what? Question mark. When I first read this, what does this have to do with money? What does this have to do with the ridicule of the Pharisees? What does this have to do with dining with sinners and tax collectors? That's the context, though. Hold on to that question for a moment. I think I know the answer. I'll tell you what I think in a little bit. But this is the context for the parable that Jesus tells today. The Pharisees are all up in arms, ridiculing Jesus for the good things that he teaches about sin and righteousness and the frailty of money but treasures in heaven. They ridicule him, and so he tells this parable, basically saying to them, laugh all you want. But whatever you serve in this life, you will serve in the grave. Whatever rules over you in this life will rule over you in eternity. You cannot serve two masters. I don't care what other master you pick. However good and noble that master might be, you cannot serve two masters. It is either God and God alone or something else that you will serve all the way to hell. That's the story of the rich man in this parable. Ridicule and mock and laugh. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world to neglect money, to think little of it. Of course, the world thinks money is the very best thing, holding on to it, enjoying it, using up this time as well as you can. That's what the world thinks. Laugh as much as you want. You will laugh all the way to hell. What you serve now, you will serve eternally. Look at this rich man. Here he is, in the grave, tormented in Hades. The fire 
that is not quenchable, the worm that is not destroyed. And even now, when all of his riches are gone, he's still thinking about stuff, his physical existence. All he wants is just a drop of water. He's given up on treasures abounding, but still, just give me a little bit of fleshly comfort. Just cool my tongue. Even now, he's ruled by the lusts of his flesh. Even now in the grave, he has not overcome this sense that money and material things and his fleshly life, that that is his master. Just a drop of water. Please, just a drop of water. In his life, as he feasted lavishly and was clothed in purple, his lust for things, for stuff, for money, blinded him so that he could not see his poor brother Lazarus. I don't think, I don't think we're meant to see in this parable a hatred of Lazarus. As though the rich man is some sort of a detestable, wicked, grotesque sinner who just hates people and treats them miserably. He was just so blinded by the thing that he loved above all else that he could not see his poor brother Lazarus. That master that he served was a slave driver. It drove him hard to blindness, to something that you all can see so clearly that anybody hearing this story can see. Anybody. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. You read this story and you say, that guy should have helped poor Lazarus. But Lazarus did not receive help but from the dogs because the rich man served his master so well. He served him and was even named for his master. Did you notice that? The rich man doesn't have a name in this story. Lazarus does. The name Lazarus means God has helped. But the rich man, he's just the rich man. In Hades, he's still the rich man. That's who he is. He's named for his God, he's named for his idol, and that name is all that he has left even when all of his treasures are taken away. What good does that name do him now? Abraham confronts the rich man when he asks for this drop of water. And Abraham uncovers the whole problem with the rich man's thinking. You received good things in life. You received good things in life. This is a key that you have to pay close attention to in this parable. Again, the rich man is not the kind of person that you wouldn't want to spend time with. He's a friendly guy. He throws parties all the time. You want to be invited over to his house. It's not as if he's some criminal who you would think this guy should be thrown into jail. Instead, his problem is this, that he has taken the good things God has given him and he has loved them too much. Most people are not crass, wicked, detestable sinners, but they love the good things God has given them too much. They serve all of the masters of this life trying to serve them alongside their Heavenly Father, and they cannot. And so they wind up in hell, surprised, because they think, I wasn't a gross sinner. I wasn't like all of those people we throw in jail. I wasn't like the pedophiles. I wasn't like the murderers. I wasn't like the adulterers or whoever you want to pick. I lived a clean life. And yet, they find themselves in hell because they loved the good things that God gave them more than the one who gave them to them. They love the gifts more than the giver. It's important to see that God gives us good things in this life, but our sinful flesh is tempted to take those gifts and turn them into idols. This was the case all the way back in the Garden of Eden. This is the root of sin. It's not as though the fruit on the tree was poisonous. It wasn't bad. God said about everything he had created, 
It is very good. It was good fruit. But it wasn't for eating. It was good for something else. But Adam and Eve, in their hearts, said, if it's good, I want to have it in my way, according to my desires, according to my flesh. And so they took the good thing that God had given them, and they used it for a false and corrupt purpose. They took a good gift that God had given them, and they turned it into an idol. And they served that gift instead of serving the one who gave it to them. You can love a good thing all the way to hell. That's what happens to the rich man. He loves his riches, a gift from God. He loves them all the way to hell. Now this, I think, is why divorce comes up right before our lesson. Because of all the things that we get entrapped by in this life, there really are two things that are most prominent, marriage and divorce, two, marriage and money, two good gifts from God, gifts that are meant to make our life bountiful and abundant. And yet you see all around you in yourself as well, you see the temptation to take the good gifts of God and have them on our own terms. To say of a marriage, ah, I've had enough, this isn't good for me anymore, I need something better. To say of a potential marriage, this is the person that I want. This, according to my flesh, is what I want right now, which leads so many people into sin. Marriage and money are two of our biggest idols, two of the good things that God gives us that lead us most astray when they're corrupted by our hearts. That's, I think, why Jesus brings up divorce, right before talking about the rich man and Lazarus. You see, it doesn't matter whether it's money or any other good thing that God gives you. You can love it straight to hell. Money is perhaps most common, but look at your own lives. What are the things that you love, the good gifts that God has given you, that you love, that you would not sacrifice anything for? that you would not be willing to give up, even if God asked you to? What are the good things that you have begun to idolize, the things that you have begun to hold on to desperately, the things you are unwilling to let go? Those are the good things that God has given you, which loved out of proportion will lead you straight into hell. That's the warning that Jesus gives to the Pharisees today as they ridicule him. They ridicule him as our hearts are inclined to do. To look at Jesus and say, that's absurd. This is a good thing that you've given me. Money is such a good thing that you've given me. Why should I give it up? Why should I spend it on the poor? Why should I be charitable and generous? Whatever good things God has given you, do not be tempted to hold them beyond measure, to love them more than you love God. Do not be tempted to serve them. But instead, serve the one who has given them to you. They are not God. The good things that God gives you are not God. And this is the most important point of the parable. It's not merely to chastise us, to slap us on the hand for loving things inordinately, for taking good gifts and turning them out of all proportion into God's. God does punish us, discipline us in our hearts for doing that. But the point, going all the way back to sinners who need a Savior, the point is to draw us in repentance to put our trust in Him. To be like Lazarus, who did not help himself, who did not save himself, who did not hold on to good things in this life in desperation, thinking that they were his hope and his salvation, but instead, for us to be like Lazarus, who was helped by God. 
God who is far better than any of the gifts that he gives us. God himself, who has justified us by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, who has given us greater acclaim than anyone in this world can give you. Those Pharisees wanted to be seen by others. The rich man wanted to be seen by others. But you, dear friends in Christ, have been seen by God. He has looked on your poor and lowly estate. He's seen your sin. He's seen your weakness. And he has loved you. And he has said of you, you are my beloved children. I have washed you and made you clean. I've given you a new life. You are mine. So come hell or high water, I will not abandon you. That is what God says to you. That's what he said to Lazarus. The riches of the rich man failed. He was concerned about his brothers whom he loved in this life. But what could his brothers say about him now? Well, he was a rich man, but now he's dead. The riches fail. The things of this life fail. But God's love for you, God's help and comfort for you, his word does not fail. To be helped by God is to be like Lazarus. Now, if you measure things the way that the world does, you will look at Lazarus and you will say, no one wants that, and you're right. No one, according to their sinful flesh, wants to be unsatisfied, sitting outside the gates of a rich man, having your wounds licked by the dogs. No one wants that unless, unless your eyes have been opened to see that you have a Savior who promises you treasures that will not fade away. Treasures that cannot be destroyed, that cannot be stolen, that you cannot love too much because they are the treasures of God. They are God himself, his gift to you of his own life, his own spirit. You have been helped by God. You have Moses and the prophets. You have even the gospel of Jesus Christ, the promises of God. So take heart. Even if you feel impoverished in this life, take heart. Because Lazarus, who was impoverished above all others, he was blessed eternally. Take heart. Even if God calls you to sacrifice the good things that he has given you in this life, take heart. Because like Abraham, you are justified in the sight of God for trusting him. Abraham, who was asked to give up his only son, whom he loved. Do not set aside God's help. Listen and believe. Listen that he does not want you to languish in Hades, lusting after a drop of water, but he wants you to rest at peace. Rest at peace eternally. Though you receive bad things now in this life, which you will, especially as Christians, you will. Though you receive bad things now in this life, rejoice that God intends to give you eternal good things that will never fade away. To God alone be all glory now and forever. Amen. Amen.